Hawkman and Adam Strange. Welcome to FW Team Up, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Siskoid. And I'm Scott X. Taking you through a classic superhero sci-fi team-up, Hawkman and Adam Strange from Showcase numbers 101 to 103, cover dated June through August 1978. And Scott, we're cheating a little bit here because uh, one of the rules of the show... Rules are made to be broken. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the rules is that the two headliners must have their names on the cover uh, at the top, but Showcase only gives Hawkman credit on these issues. But still, I think you'd agree that this is a mistake on DC's part. Absolutely. Adam Strange at that time was probably one of the characters that was very popular in his own way. And he definitely carries his weight within the course of the story. Yeah. Showcase was a title that at times did feature team-ups. So right. uh, I'm counting it in this. It's This yeah. isn't an, a Hawkman comic and Adam Strange just happens to be in there. It really is a combined story. As you'll see, these three issues really cover both their worlds. Uh, and in each episode of FW Team Up, you know, one panelist will pick one character to defend. So in this case, Scott, who's your guy? Well, I absolutely love both of these characters, or at least certain versions of the characters. Well said. But for the purposes of this discussion today, I will choose Adam Strange. Okay. Then I will take gladly take uh, Hawkman and with a side order of Hawkwoman. <laughs> Very appropriate. And as is customary, we'll preface with reasons uh, why we like the character we've chosen. So, Scott, what's so great about Adam Strange? Well, as a concept, I always love sort of that stranger in a strange land concept. I think that was one that very much permeated through science fiction um, in in the mid-century when Adam Strange was created. We've seen lots of characters that sort of have that idea. But I think in the particular case of Adam Strange, I have to say I just find him very visually appealing in in his classic form, as we see in this particular story. His outfit sort of looks futuristic and science-y. Or at least futuristic and science me from what the 1950s would have thought of as futuristic and sciencey. But now, when I look at it, it has a nice retro feel, which I really, really enjoy. And I, I guess if something can be futuristic and retro at the same time, that's why I love it. He's a bit out of time anyways. Yeah, yeah. Be- because... This is an outfit that we'd see on characters, Buck Rogers-type characters. Right. Flash Gordon. Yeah, that live in the future. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of these, the Golden Age strips had, you know, characters like this, and they all lived in the future. Or, But uh, in this case, he's very much a uh, John Carter of Mars figure. So he's, he's from Earth, he's from now, but he's living in this Flash Gordon uh, society. Right, absolutely. So, Siskoid, please enlighten me and our, and our listeners as to one thing in particular that may draw you to the character of Hawkman. Well, for me, it's always been about the uh, sexy married couple era, especially as drawn by Joe Kubert, and we do get some Kubert covers here. Yes. Uh, I'm not going to lie, uh, <laughs> you know, Hawkman's always been kind of a jerk, but uh, Hog Girl, Hawkwoman, she's the bomb, and uh, I love that she's an equal partner in the better stories. She's not the sidekick. They're working together. She was in the Golden Age, or up to a point, but in the Silver Age, when they recreated these characters, they were on equal footing from the beginning, and uh, I like the whatever eras where they're 
both together. And I feel it's, it's a bit of a disservice to the characters now that whenever they are together, uh, they quickly find a way to kill one of them off to do the, the whole, uh, tragic love story, uh, you know, reincarnation thing. I prefer it where they're together. They're meant to be together. They work as an item. You know, you really need, uh, Hawkwoman to be there for me to make Hawkman interesting. I think it makes them both more interesting when they can play off each other. And Ad- Adam Strange actually was the same way for the 1950s. Adam Strange had his love interest was Alana, the again sort of the a trope of that stranger in a strange land concept. He goes to a different planet, falls in love with a woman, but she was conceived early on as to be more of an equal partner. Again, as it would have been viewed in the 1950s, she still always needed rescuing or something of the sort, but she did share in his adventures and uh, did carry her own weight. So both of these kind of kind of match up well. Let's get into the publication history of these guys. So we, we've got two of them. I will take on Hawkman. When editor Julia Schwartz decided to revive more Golden Age characters as Silver Age sci-fi heroes after the success of Flash and Green Lantern, he set Gardner Fox and Joe Kubert on Hawkman, who in The Brave and the Bold, number 34, 1961, made him an alien policeman from the planet Thanagar, though his powers and costumes were largely the same as the original Golden Age hero. So was his name, because Carter Hall became Qatar Hall, but the name Carter would do in his secret identity when he and his wife, Shayira, decided to stay on Earth to study Earth police methods, fight crime, and become curators of a museum in Midway City. A lot on their, on their plate. Uh, after... <laughs> <laughs> a couple of three-issue runs in Brave and the Bold and a smattering of appearances elsewhere, like Mystery in Space. He was given his own series in 1964 and joined the Justice League of America as of that title's number 31. His book lasted only 27 issues, after which it was combined with the Adams' uh, equally failing series. The Adam and Hawkman worked as a dynamic duel for another seven issues ending in 1969. Through the 70s and early 80s, this place was really with the JLA, providing the team with uh, its satellite HQ, that's Thanagarian technology, and uh, a right-winger to have arguments with leftist Green Arrow. The showcase issues we're going to cover today led into a Hawkman strip in World's Finest Comics, and after Aquaman disbanded the Justice League, the story was resolved in the Shadow War of Hawkman miniseries by Tony Isabella, which in turn led to a post-crisis series that lasted 17 issues, and only then did DC decide to reboot the character. Oops. (laughs) Uh, causing a bit of a kerfuffle with continuity. Uh, the gritty reboot was called Hawkworld, a three-issue prestige format miniseries by Tim Truman, leading to a series by John Strander in which Katar and Shaira establish themselves as part of Law Enforcement Exchange Program on Earth. The book would run 32 issues, then spin out into a solo book as Hawkman for another 33. But Guitar Hall, uh, his story really ends 13 issues in when Zero Hour merges all the past Hawkman into a single man, at which point Hawkman's continuity becomes total chaos, on par with uh, Monel's. Uh, <laughs> and I'll say, I'll put the end here. I'll say the end, because after that, it's no longer Guitar Hall. It's usually Carter Hall in whatever incarnation. So yeah. uh, that's that's Hawkman's abbreviated history, at least Guitar Hall's history. You know, it's so funny that you mention about how his continuity went into chaos and it absolutely did i think a lot of the writers since then have kind of tried to edge around and ignore things they didn't like and use things maybe they did like um but i will i will tell you cisco i don't know if you've picked up any of them in the more recent hawkman series it just started there on issue six i believe this is one of the series i've actually picked up because i love the character i always give it a try anytime they they try hawkman i've really enjoyed this series so far different than some of the other series since the the continuity got messed up 
this particular series is really embracing it, taking it head on and trying to answer some of those continuity issues by just embracing all of it. I won't give anything away for anyone who has not read it, but I would very much recommend it. It's a really good series so far. And if people like the Joe Kubert Hawkman, there was the Joe Kubert Presents uh, miniseries mm. that had uh, some Hawkman strips in there that were the Guitar Hall Hawkman. Uh, with Hawkwoman. So, uh, there, there is some later stuff with Hawkman that I find of value. <laughs> Let's talk about Adam Strange because I, I think people know who Hawkman is, you know, generally. So I, I didn't go into it too deeply, but Adam Strange is perhaps more of a uh, niche character. So in 1957, DC Comics, then known as National Periodical Publications, owing to a lot of the buzz around the so-called space race between the United States and the Soviet Union, as well as just the general popularity of science fiction at the time, decided they needed to create some new sci-fi focused characters. The superheroes had kind of faded out a little bit and they were looking for new new characters to sell. So editorial director Erwin Donnefeld called a meeting attended by editors Jack Schiff and the previously mentioned Julius Schwartz. A plan was developed to debut two new science fiction series in what one could only be dubbed as a tryout book, which is Showcase, which earlier had seen um, the re-envisionment of The Flash. So two concepts were selected and developed, the second of which spearheaded by editor Julius Schwartz, centered around a modern-day man who had adventures on another planet. And from that concept grew Adam Strange. The visual design of the character is attributed to the great Murphy Anderson. Zapped by a Zeta Beam and transported to the planet Ron, Adam Strange debuted in showcase number 17, cover dated November-December 1958, with an on-sale date of September 18, 1958, and made subsequent appearances in showcase numbers 18 and 19. These issues were scripted by Gardner Fox and penciled by Mike Sikowski with covers by Gil Kane. Sales numbers on the books were enough to justify Strange being elevated to a feature character, so he became the lead in Mystery in Space, which ran his stories with the exception of issue number 101 from issue 53, cover dated August 1959, to issue 102, cover dated September 1965. The vast majority of the stories in the Mystery in Space run were scripted by Gardner Fox and penciled by Carmine Infantino with issues late in the run penciled by Lee Elias and scripted by Jerry Siegel, among others. That's a pretty good list of contributing creators in those early years, uh, for sure. So one other thing I wanted to mention about the Mystery in Space run, in issue number four of Justice League of America, the Justice League was looking for new members. And there's one panel in there where the Flash says, how about Adam Strange? Well, a couple issues later, a reader wrote in in the, in the letters column, which I am still sad that those are more or less defunct. A reader wrote in and wrote, how in the world could the Flash know about Adam Strange? Because most of his adventures occurred on another planet. So in response to a reader letter and maybe an early instance of trying to make continuity importance, Gardner Fox that and um, the others wrote a story to fill in the blanks of how the Justice League knew Adam Strange. Well, what it came down to in Mystery in Space number 75, they wrote a story about how the Justice League had met Adam Strange on an earlier adventure and fought Kanjar Row. So there you have it. That's how Adam Strange uh, became acquainted with the Justice League. And then after Mystery in Space folded up his tent, the stories that first appeared there were reprinted in Strange Adventures. Adam Strange was also a regular guest star across the DC Universe um, in Team Up Books, the Justice League of America, Showcase, which we're discussing today. He also had backup features in World's Finest and a fairly long run of backups in Green Lantern. Over the course of time, as nearly every character in the DC Universe was following the crisis on Infinite Earths, his origin was revised and 
tweaked and re-revised. For an earlier post-crisis origin, check out Secret Origins number 17, or probably even better, check out the Secret Origins podcast here on the Fire and Water Network, hosted by Ryan Daly. He also appeared in, in all the big crossovers, Invasion, Cosmic Odyssey, Crisis on Infinite Earths. He made other guest appearances in Swamp Thing, James Robinson's Starman, for examples, and he also made some appearances under the Elseworlds banner, whether those stories were official or unofficial. Um, one one interesting take on the character was in the newspaper-like format in Wednesday's comics by Paul Pope. The story in that one aligned him more directly with Edgar Rice Burroughs' John Carter, who had been one of the original influences for the character. And more recently, in 2004, he starred in a miniseries again titled Adam Strange, which led to a group of somewhat interlocking stories and books that include The Ron Thanagar War, 52, Countdown to Adventures, Ron Thanagar Holy War, Strange Adventures, and the acronym title Rebels. In the New 52 era, his origin was once again revised. This time, he and his wife Alana became featured players in the Justice League United. Since the end of the New 52 and the start of the Rebirth era, Adam Strange has appeared in the Death of Hawkman miniseries, a Future Quest crossover, which may or may not be in continuity, and in a couple of uh, brief cameos in Brian Michael Bendis' Superman. I also think it's worth noting that Adam Strange has also appeared in other media, including the DC Animated Universe, Batman Brave and the Bold, several of the DC Animated Universe movies, and most recently has appeared on live-action television as an important part of the Superman-related show Krypton, although that version of the character, as of yet, doesn't really resemble uh, the traditional character as seen in the comics. No, he's he's a time traveler. Yeah, he's a time traveler, which is a different take, but I, I like the fact they used him, but of course the traditionalist in me wish they would have given him the costume or, or something like that. I think most of these shows have a little uh, segment of the DCU that they can use. And maybe Krypton yeah. had, oh, you can use all the space heroes and names and branding. And so Adam Strange sort of got, I don't know, Rip Hunter's role. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but Rip Hunter's on, in another show. So, He's on a know. different show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's probably it. You want to get into this? Three issues we've got to cover. So uh, yep. buckle up, kids. We're going into space for this <laughs> synopsis. We'll try not to make it too long for you. Mystery in Space. That's the first title by writer Jack C. Harris with art by Al Milgram and Murphy Anderson. Hawkman and Hawkwoman are aboard their ship in Earth orbit when... Urgent transmission is received on the Justice League wavelength. Calling Hawkman. Come on, Cater, answer. Cater Hole. Hawkman, can do you read me? Can you take me on board? I've got to abandon ship. Though the message is garbled, Hawkman recognizes the voice and visage of none other than Adam Strange the so-called man of two worlds. Before Hawkman can take any action, Adam Strange blasts a hole in the hull, leaps through the breach and into the Thanagarian ship. Hawkgirl appears just in time to see Hawkman and Strange sealing off the breached section of the ship. Hawkman launches the ship into hyperspace to escape Strange's attackers, the Vanators, armed with their nefarious vacuumizers. The Vanators are left to ponder their failure. They've eluded us. The Hydelion will not be pleased when we return to Ron Base. As the Vanators depart, a space capsule with an open hatch can be seen floating by. Meanwhile, in hyperspace, Adam Strange tells the Hawks that his adopted world of Ron has been conquered. All of Ron's past enemies, tired of the peaceful rule of the capital city of Ranagar, and under the direction of an unnamed leader, banded together and took over the planet. Their plan? To destroy the peace between Ron's city-states and plunge Ron into a space war. Remaining resistance forces using guerrilla tactics were continuing to fight, but were hopelessly outnumbered. Unable to access Zeta Beam transport technology, Strange decided to take a ship to Earth, hoping to enlist the help of the Justice League of America. At this point, Adam can do nothing but hope 
that his wife Alana and father-in-law Sardoff remained safe, having stayed behind to continue the resistance. Hawkwoman promises to loop back to Earth and ask the JLA for help, but a crucial navigation console explodes And though Hawkman protects his crewmates with his wings, there's no way to change the destination, which is now... Ron? Suspecting Adam Strange of having sabotaged the ship for some reason, Qatar opts to go outside and repair the ship the only way available to him, from the outside, even if he can only survive five minutes in the vacuum of hyperspace. But it's no use. Even if the directional indicator hadn't been irreparable... And RV's ship, another alien race that helped conquer Ron, has somehow followed them there and attacks. Hawkman gets back inside the ship in the nick of time, and Hawkwoman sends it back into warp. Katara confronts Strange as the only possible saboteur, but then notices an anomalous shadow on the wall and exposes the Shadow Thief. The untouchable shadow villain explains he was offered a pardon for taking part in a secret space flight for the American military, but that as soon as he launched, he heard a voice directing him to stow away Hawkman's ship during the encounter with the Vanators. He sabotaged the ship and will suffocate Hawkwoman and Adam Strange if Qatar tries to stop the ship again. Hawkman takes a risk and smashes the dimensional warp drive controls, sending him into the shadow dimension so he can fight Shadow Thief on his own terms. Confiscating the thief's bracelet, he's able to take himself and the villain back into phase. As the ship comes out of hyperspace, the heroes realize they're too late. An armada of alien ships is fighting Thanagarian forces around Ron. Chapter 2. Strange Adventures Damaged in the crossfire, the Hawk's ship plunges toward the planet's surface. Skillfully piloted by Hawkman, they make it to the surface and are met by Sardath and the Undergrounders, agents of Ron's guerrilla resistance. Unfortunately, they are closely followed by the Kiri with their aqua rays. The Hawks jump into action, smashing the Kiri's weapons. Having briefly scattered the attacking forces, the heroes make a hasty retreat to a secret base with the help of some makeshift Zeta Beam transport technology. While regrouping at this base, Hawkman, Adam Strange, and company receive a message from the leader stating that Alana Strange has been captured and will be put to death unless the Resistance lays down their arms. Yeah, like that's going to happen. Hawkman takes charge and divides their forces into squads, each member having a different weapon, so no matter what they come up against, they'll have a defense for it. Is the distraught Adam Strange up to the challenge? It's a 3,200-mile trip to Ranagar, and while Hawkman's wings do not require an extra power source, Adam's rockets do. Strange calms Hawkman's fears, relating that his rockets are mentally controlled and have batteries that will last for years. But if they should somehow fail, there is an emergency switch in the back. Time to get on with the assault. First to meet them at Ranagar's gates are the Dust Devils, beings of wind that can't stand static electricity. Hawkwoman's blaster holds them back. Then comes the Vanitor with their vacuumizers. So the squad covers itself with gold, and since the weapons can only vacuumize one element at a time, the heroes can close the gap and hit the blockheads hard. Adam Strange and Hawkman find Alana imprisoned in Sador Tower. Adam rushes to rescue his wife. Thankfully, just in time to prevent disaster... Alana tells her rescuers that the tower is wired and that the slightest touch will cause a massive explosion. Hawkman tells Alana to lie flat as he smashes the top of the tower with his mace, makes the bomb explode, and dives to grab her as she falls. Adam Strange has been knocked unconscious by the blast, however, so Katar has to kick his jetpack's failsafe switch on, saving the Earthman from certain doom. The now reunited Adam Strange and Alana, and Hawkman and Hawkgirl, take a moment to catch their breath. 
but only a moment, as Alana reveals that the identity of the mysterious leader is none other than space criminal Kanjar Roe. Without further delay, Hawkman's ship blasts off for Thanagar to stop the Ranian invasion and attempt to save both planets. Chapter 3, Adventures on Other Worlds. Hawkman's ship exits hyperspace directly into the path of Kanjar Roe's flagship, as it approaches Thanagar. Adam Strange jets out of an airlock and into space in an attempt to draw the fire of Roe's ship away from the others. Hawkman navigates the ship through Thanagar's defense screens, and the group lands behind the Vale of Almura, magnificent waterfalls hiding a cave system. Katar flies off to talk to Andar Pull, the Hawk's commanding officer, who surely knows what's been happening. On the way, he has to fight Manhawks, somehow released from captivity. He blinds them with volcanic dust and moves on. Still battling in space, Adam Strange is hit by a stun blast. As the disoriented hero plummets toward the planet, he hopes he can find Hawkman and the others in time to warn them about what he has learned of Rose's plans. Hopefully, it will be enough to end the war. Hawkman reaches Thanaldar, capital city of Thanagar, and finds it mostly empty, though patrolled by a few monsters who almost capture him. They are actually changelings, including the criminal Bith. Katar escapes and finds Andar Pull, who explains that the tyrant queen Hyathis came as a savior to Thanagar, cured the homogenization plague, appointed herself ruler, freed all the criminals, and turned the loyal wingmen into her own star warriors, intent on war with Kanjar Rose Ron. Hawkman surmises that the plague was never cured, only used to make Thanagarians willing puppets to Hyathis' rule. As he leaves, Andarpool warns his mistress, who is just now telling the escaped Shadow Thief how her followers rescued her from the planet where she was imprisoned by Green Lantern. Given the mission to find and kill Hawkman, Shadow Thief has replicated his dimensionometer to create a Shadow Squad. Still disoriented, Adam Strange somehow makes his way to his comrades. He fills them in on what he has learned. That Kanjar Rose's real plan is to use his captured Zeta Beam technology to transport single assassins directly onto Thanagar to kill Hyathis. But on their way to warn Hyathis, the heroes are intercepted, and Adam and Alana Strange face off against Shadow Thief, and the Shadow Squad. Meanwhile, the Hawks fight the Changelings and Wingmen until Katar is able to slip away and enter Hyathis' command center. To her surprise, he's there to save her from a just-materializing Kanjar Roe. A swift kick to the head later, she's safe, but though Hawkman rejects her as his queen, she's nevertheless the recognized ruler of Thanagar. She banishes him and his friends to space, thanking him for her life simply with his own. Later in space, Hawkman tells Adam Strange she'll drop him off on Ron before going back to Earth. A wary Adam remarks that although he is going back to Ron, it will be a Ron in the midst of a civil war in the wake of the defeat of Kanjaro. The heroes have both won and failed. They gained a piece of sorts, but have lost two worlds. But they will face the future the only way they know how, as heroes. And that's the three-issue showcase team-up between these two Gardner Fox creations, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've got a lot in common already. And Julia Schwartz, too. Julia Schwartz was the editor that kind of spearheaded some of their their uh, creation. They both appeared in Mystery in Space at one point. And, yes. uh, you know, they're, they're both uh, people with uh, a wife <laughs> in the mix. So uh, it made sense to put these guys together together again for the first time, more or less. Yeah, they were really trying to promote the sci-fi aspects of the heroes during this time in DC Comics history, obviously with changing Hawkman from a more of a terrestrial hero to a sci-fi hero, and then pairing him up with a new creation, Adam Strange. They were really trying to expand that 
sci-fi aspect, even of the superhero genre. Because this this was sort of the, the first story where Ron and Thanagar are at odds, uh, even mm-hmm. though it's kind of artificial because it's like the villains. The you know the politics aren't about whatever the politics of those planets are. It's it's about villains taking over and then setting the planets uh, up one against another, and that that'll lead to a lot of storylines in DC. Ron Thanagar. Wars that you know had their own miniseries and all of that stuff, which I, I I can't say that it's these are stories that I enjoyed, you know the Jim Starlin ones and right. that came later. But in this case, it's really it's like let's put all the you know every villain that these guys are known to have and put them in the same story. They really did pack them in here, you know a lot of the the villains that Adam Strange had faced in the past, a lot of the villains Hawkman had faced and then faced each other. And you know you mentioned at this time showcase you know they were putting these heroes together and, and it was still a tryout book in many ways or a team-up book at the very least this story came out right at on the cusp of the end of the dc explosion right before the dc implosion so i think what they were trying to do here is really promote these heroes who hawkman at the time was slated to get a regular backup feature i believe and then adam strange i'm sure they were going to see if they would spin off into some other backup series so they really were trying to get a lot of this history of the two characters together so as moving on with their plans there was an element of familiarity with readers as we had the the absolute in the first issue in issue 101 of of showcase we had the absolute definition of expository dialogue where hawkman tells his whole history to adam strange who already knows it at which (laughs) point adam strange responds by telling hawkman his whole history which hawkman already knows we have two pages that are just exposition telling each other things they already know but obviously that was for the benefit of readers and they did it in a nice way though because it's you've yes. got the, those big profile full page yes. profiles and then you know the panels the you know, the memories sort of panels yes. on top of that yeah they artistically they were great they were well well constructed well let's talk about the art of, uh, of this uh, because usually we talk a lot about story and then we sort of art is a, an afterthought but Al Milgram has a very dynamic style which works for this uh, they also brought in Murphy Anderson, who was, you know, an original artist on both these features in the Silver Age. Yes. To make it look like it's part of their canon, really, regardless of who was the artist on this. And I had a special note for the letterer on the stories, because the, the first issue is by, the lettering is by uh, Milton Snappen. And then Ben Oda takes over for the last two issues, and it really shows. Because Snappen is doing big, bold sound effects that are part of the action. And it's like right. when they're going to warp, and the word warp is warping. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of this. And then even the aliens have very different yes. speech bubbles. Ben Oda doesn't do that stuff when he comes on, which is too bad. Yeah, I, I really liked in that first issue, I kind of did a little voice for the Vanitors. But that was basically based on how he lettered it. He kind of mm-hmm. lettered it in a... The word balloon itself had was kind of etched around with little squares. So it looked, you could kind of get an idea that it was a very staccato type of a voice that they were speaking with. And, and I liked that. Especially as a kid, I would have been reading this in 1978. I would have eaten that stuff up. The action looks good, all of that. Even the, they make flashbacks look good. So that's, that's a thing. Then we got those, uh, Joe Kubert covers as well. Absolutely. Which gorgeous covers. If you want me to buy a comic, put a Jacobert cover on it. Absolutely. And you can't, you know, you can't do much better. If they would have thrown Sergeant Rock on the cover of this thing, then you'd have probably had it <laughs> set with Joe Kubert drawing Hawkman is just great. And his Adam Strange looks great, too. I mean, Adam Strange doesn't appear on the last cover, which is too right. bad for uh, your side. Yeah. <laughs> 
but otherwise, even without him there, all these covers are classics, immediate classics. Of course, all the images uh, that are important to this discussion will be uh, at the Fire and Water Podcast Network website, so people can go check out the gallery, unless you're listening in your car, which, don't do that. <laughs> Wait till you get to work. This era of, for both these characters, they were sort of in limbo at the time, so this really advances their story quite a lot. So what do you think about how they've uh, changed Ron or the setup of Ron or even the setup of these characters made them both, I guess, freedom fighters in a way? You know, Adam Strange historically had sort of been, as we would call now, a monster of the weak fighter. He'd go in, he'd have a story, and he would fight this particular um, – they had a lot of these city-states or aliens that would come in and try and conquer the planet. He'd he'd stop them. Julius Schwartz always called him a thinking man's hero. He'd devise some way to defeat the aliens who had superior weapons. By the end, everything was wrapped up. He would get transported back to Earth by the Zeta Beam, and then he would lament the fact that he and Alana were apart once again until he could find the next Zeta Beam transmission and go back to Ron. Adam Strange, in this case, that really mixed up the world a little bit there. Um, instead of this monster of the week, there was an ongoing threat here that needed to be fought, and certainly advancing it farther forward. Hawkman, I think the same way. Hawkman, really, this being a sci-fi hero, they changed him into being a, more of an outer space hero come to Earth, but almost all of his adventures were on Earth, like the previous Hawkman had been. So it seems like this one kind of moved him more into that sci-fi range again with actually adventures in outer space more so than he'd had. He'd certainly had some with the justice league, but sort of making that a more direct part of his story now. Yeah. And he's got that spaceship, which I always found looked like, like it should belong to green arrow. There's the shape of it. I always thought the same thing. The colors too were green, yeah. green and yellow. There. Yeah. So it seems like it'd be like green arrow in space, but uh, at least it's cool to see it punching through hyperspace. You know, it seems like, like, okay, the, arrow motif is actually makes sense also per perhaps it makes sense uh, to the original designers because it reminds you of the bow and arrow which is a, an antique weapon and right. hawkman uses all these antique weapons so maybe right. and, and i find that even though this isn't a monster of the week story for adam strange the fact that all of these strange alien species are part of the uh, invading force adam strange is just meeting okay this time he's meeting the blockheads this time he's meeting the, the you know the liquefiers this time he's meeting the dust devils yeah uh, it's kind of a monster of the of the moment right uh, they just come back to back so it it fits that i wish they would have given him a little bit some new things to see too but it does fit in with that now they're all teaming up and that was sort of the idea was i think it mentioned it at one time in the story you know individually Adam Strange had been able to defeat them all, but once they banded together, it was just too much for any one man to handle kind of a thing. And it kind of threw him off his game. That was one thing they kept mentioning throughout this story was how Adam became sort of impetuous and leapt into action. He should be a th he's a thinking man. Why is he doing this so, you know, so haphazardly? And they, that was kind of a recurring theme until the very end where Alana says something like, oh, now Adam is revitalized and he's back on his game. He's thinking things through. And it's so different than what we see. Hawkman would always be the one that's, well, we've got to have a plan, which is so different than sort of the Hawkman that we've come to know as sort of this savage character who just busts in and, and cracks skulls. Although he does have that attitude, or he seems to be so grumpy yeah, throughout this yeah, thing. Yeah, he is. And jumpy. I mean, the, the, the story starts the very first page. It's like SOS from Adam Strange, and he's going, Jesus! <laughs> yeah. You know, Hawkman is really jumping out of his skin. And then he, like, thinks Adam Strange is a saboteur. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's known him, had these adventures with him, and he jumps to the conclusion right away that, some for some reason, that I have no idea why, that 
Adam Strange is sabotaging my ship. He's so angry throughout this this whole issue. It's only towards the very end when he's been uh, essentially exiled from Thanagar that I, I won't say he smiles. It's hard to say with the mask, but uh, yeah, it's the only place where he relaxes or he, where he seems friendly. <laughs> because yeah, yeah. up till then, he saves Adam Strange's life and all of that, but he's so angry. I don't really know Jack C. Harris from, from Adam, the writer on this. The plotting's fine to me, but the like the scripting, there's a lot of weird he creates words that maybe there's some Buck Rogers stuff in there, you know, yeah, vacuumizers yeah. and that kind yeah. of stuff. But um, instead of stowing away, he says stowawaying stuff yeah. like that. It's like, oh, you know, it, it was it was like he was kind of forcing in some of the the way they would word things in the fifties because I think they did use a lot of that stuff back in some of those fifties stories, and he was trying to work that stuff in to give it that element of familiarity with those past stories. Okay, I'll buy that. <laughs> it's a style I'm trying, choice. Trying to help him out here. <laughs> he wasn't the one who took over the stories and when it did show up in backup. So Tony Isabella right. uh, worked on Hawkman after this and for a good while, you know, through yeah. until the, the reboot. So uh, he's basically been asked to uh, advance these stories, these cosmic stories forward to a point where, because it's, it's, Oh, there was a, the last time we saw it, there was a plague, there was this, there was that. And then yeah. we're just flying over that stuff years later. It's months later. What, however time works in comics and uh, things have moved on. And here is an explanation, a quick explanation of why this is the new setup. And by the end of the story, our heroes have a new mission, a new personal mission. So he's been asked to really push this along. It's about, you know, getting through it probably as far as, as plot, not that it's a bad plot. I, I you know, I kind of make it sound like it's terrible, but it really isn't. You know, there's a lot of action in here. I love the bits with the, uh, the shadow thief in this. I, there's some questionable action wondering. Yeah. Th- this seems kind of dangerous when they blow the tower with Alana in it. Yeah. Uh, that seems kind of dangerous. And Adam Strange leaps out into space to attack a space cruiser and he's just got a ray gun and a, you know, a rocket pack. You know, I don't know if that's the brightest idea either. <laughs> they, they're just, they're kind of really going to action. And it seemed like there were a lot of beats like that that were used, you know, that, that kind of defy, and, and it is comics. So we gotta, we gotta go there in, in 1970s comics at that. But they were just kind of done to advance the plot. Okay. We got to get them to this next spot. So let's just do this. And then kind of move on. There's certainly a lot going on. So we can't say these stories are decompressed in any way or uh, that, no. uh, that three issues is too much. Uh, it isn't. Uh, even in the way we did the synopsis, it felt like, oh, I'm going to go on for a while. And then uh, and then we're doing more rapid fire together. And then you're going to go on for a while. So it's like this this one's Hawkman's issue. This one. OK, this one we're on Ron. This one we're on Thanagar. So we. We really get to see the larger scope of the story. Yeah, definitely the world. The worlds of both characters are on display here for sure. And, you know, you had mentioned kind of what this story did and how it advanced it. And and it's sort of that that weird time frame in comics. And I don't know how long, how many months, how many days. But it was probably several years later in in a world's finest backup. Hawkman just gathers Superman and Batman. They head over to Thanagar and depose Hyathis. You know, this Hyath has taken over Thanagar. Okay, well, let's go help you depose her. So I, I find it funny how he was here. He saves her, says, well, she's the rightful ruler. And then later on, as you said, the story goes to, no, now we're going to depose her. And it was that, did he decide to do that a couple weeks later? Was it months later? Was it years? Was there something else going on? You know, I don't really know. This it, And it felt like in that story, it continued right on from these three issues, even though it was four years later from a publication standpoint. Well, probably um, at this point, Hawkman doesn't have 
what it takes alone or with this group, he can't yeah. depose Hyatus, especially since the rest of Thanagar seems to be on, on her side. Uh, so maybe later there's more of a resistance, uh, building or, uh, and certainly if you go there with the Justice League, you get a better shot. I did find it interesting though that the Justice League was just like, oh yeah, we'll go depose a, a ruler of a planet. You know, <laughs> that sounds like a Justice League thing to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, we're not going to worry about that. Yeah. Hawkman, you say it's good. Let's go. We're there with you. <laughs> <laughs> Another bit I did like, I mentioned the Shadow Thief and I like that those sequences uh, may be best. The idea that we do see the hint at his presence from early yes. on. Right. That's a, that's a pretty cool. I, I really like that, too. They there were spots where. It would show like Hawkman and Hawkgirl and Adam Strange standing in the in the cargo bay of the ship, and in the background you'd see sort of their shadows, but there was an extra shadow there. There was the Shadow Thief, and there were they did that a couple times in the course of the story, just kind of very subtly casting shadows. There was that extra shadow to give people a clue who really the, who the saboteur really was. As a reader, it makes you feel smart that you might have spotted it before. I caught that Easter egg early on. Yeah, right? yeah, like, yeah. So that's that was pretty cool. And there's also one of the bits that's fun for uh, older fans is all the titles of these stories. Strange Adventures and Mystery in Space and uh, what was the other one? It was uh, Adventures in Other Worlds. Yes. So what's the connection here? Yeah, they were all throwbacks to Adam Strange, whether it be in stories, story titles that he had, comics that he appeared in, sci-fi comics and so on and so forth. So they, they really were throwbacks. And I did like, too, how in the first one was called Mystery in Space, and they used in the interior, they used the logo from the Mystery in Space title. And on the covers of the next two, they kind of had the the logos that are, are uh, associated with Strange Adventures and Adventures in Other Worlds. So they, they logoed it as well. So it's a real... Um tribute to him i mean hawkman has gone into these certain some of these comics as well you know the instead of putting adam strange on the cover it's like hawkman in strange adventures right exactly which is supposed to be adam strange's book yeah so uh you had a note here that um i wanted to explore which is uh the pronunciation of the planet ron yes Uh, we've been saying ron Yes. Not Ran, though I might in my life have said Ran at some point. Do we do we know for a fact that it is Ron? Yes. When I first encountered Adam Strange, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out there. Rob Kelly, you're gonna love this. The first time I encountered Adam Strange was on a TV show called Video Comics, which aired on Nickelodeon in the late nineteen seventies, early nineteen eighties. That's where I first encountered this particular character, along with Ultra the Multi Alien as well. And on that TV show, basically what it was, they would take comic panels they would animate them to a degree they kind of shoot through the panels and they were voiced so they would read the dialogue and go from there and in that show the the planet was called ran to my the best of my recollection they called it ran so i have always 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 called the planet ran and it made sense to me because i think the capital city was is ranagar ran and ranagar Mm -hmm. i was doing um just working on different stuff and i came across i picked up i don't remember where i got it a copy of amazing world of dc comics number eight and in amazing world of dc comics number eight um they gave the history of Adam Strange, and they talked about the planet. They had a a drawing of Ron and so forth, and they had the planet Ron, and then in parentheses they said it was pronounced Ron, 
not Ran. So I've changed it now because I assume what they intended it for it to be pronounced was Ron, although that is very odd sounding still in my head, partly because my dad's name was Ron. <laughs> so every time I hear that, that's what I think of. But so I, I just thought that was an interesting story. And, and I've heard it pronounced different ways by different people. And even on different shows, I think they kind of switch back and forth. Because I can't remember now if, you know, the Ron did get an entry in uh, Who's Who and Who's Who did have a uh, pronunciation guide that they sort of dropped somewhere, I don't know when, in the run. So yeah. uh, it might also say Ron. Yeah, I think the pronunciation guide was dropped, before, although Adam Strange obviously was early on, but I don't I don't recall that they had that pronunciation for uh, Ron. Yeah, the, the R's would probably be after they dropped it. I was always sorry for because... Yeah, I love that, too. And there are things in the back half of that series that, how do you pronounce that? <laughs> help! <laughs> I need help on this one. <laughs> yeah, even though, you know, it contradicted my pronunciation of Mixelplik. Um, but... Yeah. <laughs> from Super Friends. Super Friends, yeah, that's mine exactly. It's Mixelpick to me. Mixies, Pitalik, whatever. So now, who fared better? The debate touching on various topics, and we get to defend, I get to defend Hawkman, you get to defend Adam Strange. The first question we always ask is how well this fits each of their stories or atmospheres. In other words, is this a Hawkman story, or is it more of a of an Adam Strange story? What do you think? I think, actually, this is an Adam Strange story, where Hawkman comes in. The whole first, the, the story kicks off with Adam Strange coming to find Hawkman to help about something that's happened on Ron. We spend basically the two first two issues on Ron. When we do get to Thanagar, it's because Kanjar Roe, who has taken over as the leader of Ron, is attacking Thanagar. We have tons and tons, and we've mentioned this before, a lot of the villains that Adam Strange had fought in the past have uh, come into play and are under command of Kanjar Roe. I, I felt like Adam Strange kicked this story off, and the majority of the story took place on Ron and was instigated moving toward Thanagar. So for me, I actually find this to be an Adam Strange, more, more of an Adam Strange story. And yet, Hawkman gets much of the action. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it, it's paradoxical in the sense that, for me, the story and the atmosphere and the, and the whole plot revolves around Adam Strange, but Hawkman, as he was the only one on the cover, is more the hero of the story. And especially since he's got Hawkwoman, who's also a superhero there. Alana's in there as someone to be rescued initially, but Hawkwoman, you know, gets her a share of the action. I won't say as much of a share, but some share of the action in this. So feels like maybe the Hawks get a good chunk. But also, it seems like Hawkman is saving Adam Strange's life. He's the one that saves Alana, not Adam Strange. Right. With a great plan. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll get to that. But, <laughs> you know, but at, at least Hawkman is the wherewithal to kick the jetpack when it stops working. Right. Thankfully, he'd just been told how it worked. But yes, uh, that's how he saves Adam. So he's, I mean, he's saving the guest star. He's saving the guest star's love interest. Uh, in addition to doing his own stuff, and he's fighting his own villains who have all been released somehow into this story. I agree with you that it is an Adam Strange-driven uh, plot, but it could also be, you know, Hawkman flying to, to Ron and, and doing all this stuff unprompted, in a way. I, I agree. I think probably it's a Hawkman story in Adam Strange's world. Much of it is that way. I, I would agree with that. Let's talk cool moves. What is Adam Strange's coolest move? 
Well, I will have to say, Adam Strange did not have a lot of cool moves in this particular story. Um, he, he tended to be very impetuous and kind of boneheaded, honestly. And again, that's why I say I think Hawkman sort of won on the action front there. But I think probably his coolest move, the thing that mattered the most, was when he was out in space, he was able to figure out what Kanjaro's plan really was, which was to use the captured Zeta Beam technology to transport single assassins in to assassinate Hyathis, not just attack the world of Thanagar wholeheartedly. I would say that was probably his best move. All right. Uh, for Hawkman, I'm going to say it's, uh, I mean, it's a bit, it's a bit perfunctory how he does it, but sending himself into the shadow dimension to fight the shadow thief, I think that's one of the, uh, coolest bits and you, you've got a shadow hawk man in the background and he's you know he's seeing them the i mean the others as shadows it's a bit crazy because you're just smashing a control and somehow that being in hyperspace and causing damage to your hyperdrive somehow sends you into this other dimension okay whatever but <laughs> uh, <laughs> That is still a cool part of the action. However it happened, I absolutely agree with you. That was a cool move. And the sequence, the art and how they drew the sequences, I thought was great. Just like you said, how it kind of shows Hawkman now as a shadow fighting the shadow thief. And then it kind of shows their perspective from inside the shadow dimension, looking outward at the Adam Strange and Hawk Girl. It, it was just a very well done sequence. What about dumb or weird moves? Because those happen too, and we've got three issues worth to look at. What What is the dumbest or weirdest move that Adam Strange pulls? Uh, Adam Strange had quite a few kind of dumb moves in this one, but I would have to say from the very start, just kicking off the action here, he blew a hole in, in the hull of Hawkman's ship to get in because he couldn't wait for Hawkman to take him on board, at which point spacesuits get sucked out the door, they have to breach or seal the breach, and that's how Shadow Thief got in to Hawkman's ship. So right away, in, in my personal opinion, it's never a good move when you just blow a hole in someone's ship to try and enter. I just think that's a, kind of a boneheaded move that really could have gone sideways. And that might be the origin of uh, why Hawkman is so pissed off. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that, that could very well be. You broke my <laughs> ship, you blew the spacesuits out into space, which is why he had to go out um, and try to fix the ship, but he only had so much time, you know, he had that we had a countdown there, sort of, too. And then it's one damn thing after another, until you find out your planet's been taken over by a supervillain. Uh, yeah, I, you know, Hawkman's got a reason to be angry, but his uh, dumbest move is is the thing where he smashes the bomb in the tower. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this medieval tower in the middle of the Thanagarian city, but... <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, or or Renegarian City, whichever it is. Rapunzel, Rapunzel. <laughs> yeah, the tower is wired with a bomb, and if they save Alana, it'll blow. You know, done deal. It's gonna blow anyway. Let's blow it, but make it a controlled blast anyway. That seemed like a very dangerous idea, and um, one that Adam Strange should not. <laughs> have agreed with uh, seeing as his wife was on the line i found it funny too that whole sequence as if that's going to save her which it apparently did she was to lie flat then he was gonna you know hit the tower with his mace and cause the explosion yet somehow alana inside the tower got expelled from it was not knocked unconscious but adam strange who was just floating outward did get knocked unconscious and that was the very close runner-up to the dumbest move was being knocked unconscious by just observing uh, Hawkman blow up the tower. I mean, there's a way to draw that sequence that makes sense. Right. Where he, you would smash the roof in one direction while Alana jumped in another or something. Right. 
And as it fell, it fell on the other side of the building. While, I mean, the pictures are, are great as far as dynamic action goes, there's no sense that that's happening. And she's jumping in the same direction as Adam Strange is. She just happens not to get hit by a brick, and he does. Well, and, and again, it's sort of one of those things where you said that's that's where this one clearly illustrates Again, a Hawkman-centric story from a character standpoint, he was saving Adam Strange's love. You know, mm-hmm. that right away, that underlines that Adam Strange didn't even get to save his own girl. So that kind of underlines it right there. And finally, we look at the friendly farewell. This is a uh, team-up tradition, how the heroes say goodbye to one another. Uh, in this case, our very last shot is uh, sort of a splash panel of, you know, what happens next for these guys with Hawkman being huge, <laughs> the hugest figure yeah. there. But it's, uh, I'm going to drop you off at Ron and uh, we'll go from there sort of thing. What do you think of this farewell? I feel like it was a farewell that was meant to be sort of a, a just a setup for other stories. I think the two characters were on fine terms as Hawkman and Adam Strange and Alana and Hawkgirl. They were uh, both personally on good terms, but both kind of wary about uh, where both their lives were going to go and how their lives were going to change. So it was it was a little bit of a downer of an ending, kind of. Well, we'll take a break for a couple of promos. Then we'll be back with our bonus team-ups. Coming soon from Amalgam Comics. While exploring the far reaches of Egypt, Earth adventurer, archaeologist, and apologist Adam Hall discovers a secret chamber and a tomb adorned with avian-like hieroglyphs. While there, he touches a strange and ancient artifact of unknown origins. In a flash, he is transported across the galaxy to a corresponding chamber on the mysterious and faraway world known as Thanara. Using the avian imagery as an inspiration, he combines the super science and technology of this new world with the ancient weaponry of his home and assumes the role of a new hero, Strange Hawk, the high-flying protector of two worlds. Follow the brave and bold adventures of Strange Hawk each and every month in the pages of Showcase Mystery from Amalgam Comics and FW Publications. Hello, Paul. Hello. I am Dr. Höfenstaffner. Come in, come in, please. Take a seat. Take a seat. What can I do for you today? I uh, just, I just, I'm, I can't sleep. I, I, I can't focus on anything. The only thing I can think about is like DC events. DC events? As in the comic books? DC events? Yes, yes. The comic book events. Ooh, interesting. Uh, are we we talking things like Crisis on Infinite Earth? Yeah, yeah, totally. That one, yeah. Uh, Infinite Crisis? Yeah, yeah, that one too. Oh, very, very. Invasion, maybe? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the, uh, the Genesis? Uh, not so much. No? Oh. Okay, well, I think it's really good if you talk about the things that are troubling you in your life. So maybe you should do a podcast about this obsession. What, what, what do you call this obsession? What do you think it is? I think you're a unique case. I've not seen anything like this before in my office. I'm going to suggest that you have what we call DCOCD. What? DCOCD? You are obsessive and compulsive about your DC events. I think you should talk it out, get it out of your system via a podcast. I will help you, my friend. We shall do a podcast together about your DC or CD. Oh, okay. When I won't even start? charge you for it. 
<laughs> awesome. I don't think I can claim you on benefits. <clears throat> yeah, it's good. <laughs> when shall we start? Um, I'll get back to you on that. I'll check my I'll check my timetable. <laughs> cool. We're back. Our final feature, the bonus team up, in which each of us proposes a perfect Adam Strange team up. I'm keeping Hawkman for another day. So, uh, what's your perfect Adam Strange team up? It doesn't need to be perfect. It just needs to be uh, fun, I guess. Well, thank you for taking the obligation off me for making it perfect because <laughs> I, I had several things that that crossed my mind. One that included uh, Adam Strange team up with Mork from Orc, but I, I just couldn't figure that one out in my head. So instead, I decided to go with Adam Strange and Star Trek, the original series, partly because Adam Strange's world has scientific men who wear robes and women who are scantily clad, which I felt would fit perfectly into the world of Star Trek, the original series. And also there is a precedent here on, on a, from Cisco. I know what is one of your favorite episodes of the original series, Assignment Earth, where the Enterprise intercepts a transport beam from another world. So I thought it would fit perfectly. The Enterprise somehow intercepts Adam Strange's Zeta beam, and they have to go off on some adventure or another. Yeah, they could go, uh, oh, Gary Seven again? Oh, who's this? <laughs> yeah, who's this guy? We'd have to work on a little bit of a time travel component there, too. I'm sure the Enterprise probably just slingshotted back again in time to, to find something or did went into some different uh, parallel universe, uh, any any number of things that, that we could happen to get them on common ground. And, uh, you know, you could do a second issue with the Gary Seven Assignment Earth people. That yeah. would be great. For me, I do uh, Adam Strange and uh, Young John Johns. Mm. That was my idea at first. I was like, "Oh, John Carter of Mars." No, no, that's too that's too obvious. Uh, but no, Young John Johns Strange is obviously a riff on those Barsoom stories, right? So I'd like yeah. to see the Zeta Beam uh, go awry. Send Adam Strange to ancient Mars, where he meets a young Martian Manhunter before he was ever exiled from the planet. In a scheme where John is really uh, long-lived, you know, it's, which as sometimes he's been uh, described right. as, yeah, kid Martian Manhunter. I, <laughs> we haven't really seen that. So the plot would be a straight tribute to Edgar Rice Burroughs' stories. If you've read those original stories, you know, you get the joke in this particular team up. I like it. I want to read it. I think there's a lot of potential in a, in a Zeta beam going awry. Just that right there, there's lots of story plot potential there. That could be, uh, you know, a basis for a uh, Adam Strange series where instead of Ron, he keeps getting bounced around the DC universe. Yeah, trying to find his way back. His Zeta Beam is broken, and he can't... Well, kind of a Doctor Who-ish type thing, too, where yeah. he's kind of bouncing around, you know, trying to figure out how to get back home. Yeah, I was thinking Gilligan's Island, but yeah. You, <laughs> Doctor, <laughs> Doctor Who's Who, a Gilligan's Island. There's a lot of crossover Star Trek there, Voyager, yeah. Yeah. All right, well, uh, thanks for teaming up with me, Scott. Uh, remind people where they can find you on these here internets. Well, you can find me on Twitter, with my handle being at the mind of Scott X. I am a moderate user of Twitter. I throw stuff out there now and then. Mostly I will probably spam your feed up on Sci-Fi Saturday Night on MeTV. I enjoy watching old episodes of Wonder Woman and Buck Rogers and making snarky comments. I have a lot of fun with some of my other Twitter pals on that. Um, you can also find me um, as a guest on various shows here on the Fire and Water Network, um, Midnight the Podcasting Hour, Film and Water Podcast, MASHCast, Give Me That Star Trek, and I do have upcoming guest appearances on MASHCast and uh, JLI Bwahaha Podcast scheduled so far, so I'm looking forward to doing those guest appearances. Well, 
a reminder that we do enjoy reading your comments out there and that the best place for that is fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also visit the Fire and Water Podcast Network Facebook page or tag us on Twitter using the hashtag FWPodcast. I'll see you next time for another amazing superhero team up. Thank you, Scott, again. And thank you, Siskoid. Because after all, justice is a team effort. Thank you.